the classroom to the cornfield. Journalism to SEC Athletics, the University of Missouri works 52 weeks a year, every year. This is Inside Mizzou. Real stories, real discoveries, and real impact of the Mizzou community. Today's episode is called Learning in the 21st Century. For 180 years, the University of Missouri has provided students a world-class learning environment. But as our student population continues to evolve, so do our learning practices and resources. From a collection of dime novels to 3D scanners, on campus and online, Mizzou continues to expand the ways our community learns and researches. What does it take to ensure everyone can access the critical resources they need to succeed in today's digital age? And how do these steps enable our incredible students, faculty, and staff to change the world? Joining Chancellor Carwright to talk more about this are Courtney Gilley, a library information specialist and recent graduate with a master's in information science and learning technologies, library and information science. Courtney also served as a graduate assistant in Mizzou's comic art collection. And Navadeep Kanal. Nav is MU's e-learning and web development librarian. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So, uh, Chancellor Carwright, we're starting with you today. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to student learning, Mizzou has a tradition of innovation. In fact, the School of Journalism developed the hands-on Missouri method over 100 years ago that remains a staple of our students' education. Can you talk a little bit about why it's important that universities continue to rethink the best way students can learn? You know, uh, so much is changing so rapidly now. And when I, when I was a student, of course, we, we didn't have access to information the way that we do today. Um, uh, you can carry so much more information just on your cell phone than you could have carried at any point, uh, at least when I was growing up, uh, uh, if you integrated over the whole time. Um, this means that we need to think through how, how do we think differently, right? It isn't as, as necessary potentially to have everything memorized because you can find it so quickly. Uh, you may not need to, to spend all the time figuring out how to solve a particular problem because some of those things can be solved for us. So if you think about technology, technology gives us access to information in a way that we've, we've never had it. Um, and that changes the way you approach problem solving. It puts much more emphasis on what is it that we as, as humans, what is it that we have to offer uh, to society? And it gets much more into creativity and how can we um, leverage that tool, that ability to have access to prior knowledge in your hand. And our students today are used to finding information instantly. And you now have uh, access to as much knowledge as, as we could imagine uh, at your fingertips. Um, that puts a bigger emphasis then on how do we differentiate? How do we, um, how, do, how are we more creative? How do we leverage what that information is and, the, and, and having that information to solve problems that we may not have thought we could solve before. Um, the grand challenges of society uh, means that we need to be thinking of how do we work in an interdisciplinary way? Um, what does it mean then to be on a team? How do we work across teams? Those skills that, that maybe you know, uh, have always been important, but they're even more, more important today. I, I don't think we would have imagined, at least when I was growing up, I wouldn't have, when I was in school, I wouldn't have imagined that it'd be possible now for, for us to use artificial intelligence to solve problems by having a computer 
look for patterns that we may never even see, right? And that is something that can happen now, right? You look at a lot of health data, and we may not see the patterns in, in how we're treating someone, but by having the right algorithm, you can start to pick out certain treatment methodologies resulting in certain outcomes. And I think that's what's changing. And how do we then make sure people understand the impact that information technology is having on education so that at least they're familiar with what those tools are and how they might be able to use them and then bring to bear all of the great knowledge they have from their discipline, uh, and, but, but leverage what's available in technology. Now, there are so many perspectives uh, that you can have for that answer. Uh, and so, uh, Courtney and Nav, uh, while our students' learning needs evolve, our libraries also evolve. Uh, what would each of you say is the role of a library today? Um, I would say context. Um, and let me illustrate that with an example. I had a student come in a week or two ago, and they wanted to research Korea. However, obviously, that's going to be so much information. Um, we offered her information on history, maybe socio-political relationships, religion, or architecture. And then we realized uh, in our new display, we had gotten a book called Sacred Architecture. So she saw this, uh, she saw this relationship between the religion and architecture that maybe she hadn't considered before. So what we did as a library was allow her to narrow her topic down enough that she could continue her own research without being overwhelmed with all the possibilities. Awesome. Beth? Yeah, and uh, some of the things remain the same. To start with that, we still provide resources uh, for our students and faculty to do the best that they can as students, as researchers. Uh, as faculty in their teaching and their research, um, we help faculty with publications uh, that are that's essential for their research to find publications to do the publications. Um, more and more now, librarians also co-author papers mm -hmm. with uh, mm -hmm. li uh, with faculty, either being part of a project or mm -hmm. being in in some cases being the 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 research specialist. Uh, but as libraries evolve, we provide different kinds of spaces to students to learn a lot of learning spaces, uh, spaces uh, for research as collision spaces for ideas. And that's that's the that's where understanding is the new way students are learning uh, rather than being consumers of information. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to collaborate in creating information. And and I think that's that's where we're uh, uh, where we're heading towards in, in, in libraries. Um, and then as much as we bring, invite people to the libraries, we're also online. And our librarians also go in, in the academic context outside of the libraries. We go to classes, uh, especially um, our librarians like in uh, health sciences and the veterinary medicine. They go to um, the animal and human hospitals to work with clinicians, um, yeah. provide help that way. Confusing topics like copyright, they're, they exist all, even now. So that's another place librarians, uh, libraries still provide uh, support and uh, knowledge. You know, you know what's amazing to me is uh, I was talking about you know the need to understand information and having access to information. Um, librarians, of course, this is what they've 
done uh, always, right? It's how to best access information, how to validate information, um, how to to understand those sources. And I I think that's a skill set that's even more important today with the fact that we have so much more information to be dealing with. That's definitely the case. And I know that as a recent graduate, we definitely had a focus on uh, inclusion and accessibility. So Mm -hmm. making sure that whoever is going to come into the library has access to mm-hmm. the resources that they need and that we continue to fight for them if, if, for example, we would lose budget funding or if we lost part of a building. Um, so the library as sort of the social advocate, I think, is a new wave here. No, no, most definitely. Um, and so, Naf, uh, back to you more specifically, uh, as the e-learning librarian, uh, you've been involved with expanding the Digital Media and Innovation Lab. Uh, how does this lab and other resources like it help us reimagine the way students use and access information? Right, and it's kind of in the same vein of what we're talking about, is to enable students uh, to create information, to provide these creative spaces rather than be more mere consumers of information. Uh, in the past, the idea was, you know, the expert is going to stand in front, tell everybody what, what they need to learn. And now students engage with information in novel ways, uh, find out how they want to use and digest this information and what they're going to do with it. So resources like the Digital Media and Innovation Lab, they provide students a nudge to work with information a nudge to um, engage with information and internalize that learning process. Uh, like the, the old adage about, you know, you can take the horse to the water. Well, spaces like this provide students that nudge to say, I am interested in creating something. And in that process, I'm going to access information. And in that process, I'm going to learn to do these other things. So the outcome is not that I digest this information, but I do something with it that's more meaningful to to me as a student and to everybody else around me that they might be able to benefit because I collaborate with them, I co-learn with them. And in, in that sense, these types of resources um, are, are vital. One example was uh, Dr. Mautavelli's um, course in soil science. He has a small project, part of a class uh, project that students have to create this public service announcement uh, on environmental concerns. Um, So the student's task is to do all the research uh, to figure out what they're going to talk about. And that that creative space, they're not even thinking, I'm going to find all this thing, all, all, all these resources, and that's my product. No, the product is this more creative content that's going to come out of having yeah. played with that and engaged with that information. Uh, I think that's the real important thing about uh, learning in the 21st century is that uh, it's much more, it is a much more creative process and it's a much more encouraging process of embracing that creativity mm-hmm. than possibly um, mm-hmm. in the past times. And I think the encouragement of that leads to um, a lot of students today um, feeling like they can learn in a way that makes it fun for them. I think you spoke to the fact that as, um, I think you spoke to the fact of, you know, the expert, you know, being the one that says this is this information, this is how you should learn it. And times are just different to where you should be able to learn something, but maybe learn it in a way that's, you know, not the norm, but it's still fun and works for you as a student or just as a learner in general. 
Um, and so some people may not know this, but Mizzou actually has a special uh, comics art collection, Ellis Library. Um, so Courtney, uh, what's included in this collection and how does it connect to Mizzou's history and the other learning resources we have here? So we've actually got about 13,000 items in the comic art collection. Wow. Um, and our focus has generally been on mainstream superhero characters. Um, we've got an extensive DC and Marvel collection. Um, you'll find Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, Steve Ditko all over the place. And beyond just individual comics, we have many anthologies. And this will occasionally have um, forewords or prefaces that talk about the creative process, which I find endlessly fascinating. Um, there's occasionally back and forth between a creator and a publisher, um, or back and forth between the writer and the illustrator, the colorist, the letterer, and these sort of collaborative projects, because that's comic books are collaborative, um, is one of the the great sort of evolutions of storytelling. Um, traditionally, we have newspaper strips. We have Mort Walker's collection. We have V.T. Hamlin. Um, and these creator collections have beyond just the product, they've got these back and forths. You can see how what people wanted or what the newspaper was encouraging um, was different. And then we've got um, a great deal of comics created by Missouri creators. We recently got a donation that included um, local Colombian artists, which was fascinating to see. And we've been focusing on really expanding our collection to be a bit more extensive. For example, not everything is fiction. We have several publications that happen to be biographies. Um, the UN publishes several comics. And we've I found a, a publication that is the biography of Pope John Paul II. Oh, it is produced by Marvel. It has a Spider-Man on the front. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Approved by Comics Code Authority. Zero advertisements. Very mm. strange for a comic book. Um, and to relate that to our other resources, um, we recently had the Asian Affairs Center had come in with Brian Jacobson. And they were using the comics as an English learning language exercise to work with not only words, but also images to help cement that sort of understanding that you get from from being immersed mm -hmm. in the language. Mm -hmm. So we've spoken a lot about uh, technology, the different type of resources, as well as how we can apply those things to learning in the 21st century. Uh, what would each of you say is either one of the biggest challenges or um, the biggest opportunities that learning in the 21st century presents? A major challenge uh, and something that Chancellor alluded to earlier is, uh, and an opportunity in many ways, is the overabundance of data and information. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that vary in quality from highly useful to mm -hmm. misleading um, and in, in that sense, I think librarians engage with this data. They've they find this to be a professional calling to organize data, to make data accessible, uh, to provide ways for people to use that data. Sometimes access alone isn't enough. Sometimes mm -hmm. you need that uh, little nudge or the mm -hmm. um, bringing down the, the barriers. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that's, that's the opportunity there. Mm -hmm. so. 
I would agree. Accessibility is definitely something that we're still working on. Um, offering digital scans, for example, so if you're not on campus, you can still have access to the same high quality resources that we have here in the library itself. Um, for example, I'm working with our social media accounts through Special Collections and making sure to have alt tags um, to describe the images if someone's using a screen reader or to ensure that we have large print when needed. Um, just, it's really important, I think, to, to ensure that we also have multiple languages, because I know, obviously, English is our, is our primary language, but we're an international university, so we need to make sure that if there are creations that come in different languages, those aren't overlooked at all. You know, to me, it's, it's, it's as Nev uh, and Courtney both said, I mean, it's access to information. It's information that's verified. It's uh, ensuring that you're, you're actually using um, the right sources um, because uh, it's possible to be misled, uh, as Nav said. And if uh, uh, the libraries play, play a big role in that, right? We work with them. I know they're involved in things we do at the Teaching for Learning Center. How do you provide the right resources? What's the material that's needed? How do you find the right uh, um, publications uh, around best practices in teaching? Um, these are all part of what uh, the libraries do, and and having make ensuring that people have access to educational resources that are beyond maybe just the, the traditional textbooks that we would think of, right? It's it's all the open educational resources, ensuring that they're high quality, uh, affordable, um, and that our students can easily access them. And as, uh, as as Courtney was talking about, making sure that that they are accessible in, in so many ways. So I think there's a l huge part that the libraries continue to, pay, to play in uh, education of our students and, and certainly in the forwarding uh, of society, so so it's, a, it's a, it continues to be a really important part of a university. Um, if I may add, um, having the library as sort of conversational with their patrons, knowing what they're looking for, what they want, um, and sort of helping put around our our goals, our collections around what they're saying as well, because it's it's much easier now to be able to ask. You know, mm -hmm. is this resource enough for you? Would this resource be better? Um, is the style of learning working out for Absolutely. you? So having that as a conversation is definitely something that we're working on. Yeah, no, adaptability is uh, key, I think, in everything that you said. The ability for the library to be able to say, do you need to learn this way or is this way working for you? I think it's probably one of the most important things out of all things that we talked about. Um, yeah, and so uh, thank you all for being here today. I think we touched on a lot of good things. And now there's just one more thing to do before we all leave. So what's orange and sounds like a parrot? Is it a parrot? It's not a parrot, but it rhymes with parrot. <laughs> a carrot. It's a carrot. <laughs> it's a carrot. <laughs> Our audio engineer is Aaron Hay. Our featured music is composed by MU master's student Nico D. Schroeder and performed by the Donald Center Quartet. You can find more information about Nico, the quartet, and their piece on the Inside Mizzou webpage. Make sure to join us next time to stay on top of what's happening at Mizzou. Thanks for joining us on this episode. See you around the columns. <laughs>